Simply Cyber. So 239, good morning. Today is Friday, November 11th. It is Veterans Day. Thank you very much, veterans here in the United States. Welcome to Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 45 minutes, I'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news stories of the day to you and providing my expert analysis on each of those stories, on what it means to you as a practitioner, or if you're looking to break into the industry, we absolutely got you covered. Now, before we get into it, I want to give a shout out and thanks to the veterans, uh, U.S. veterans, many of them in our information security community, uh, delivering you know value both in serving during their time or active duty, even though I know that's not considered veterans, but still genuinely appreciate it. Um, and, you know, I love the programs that, um, you know, have been set up in our information security communities to help support veterans and get them in. Uh, I know James Driscoll's involved, Jack Scott. Um, Dave Kennedy, famously, like there's just so many great, great people who have served. And then, you know, even on Simply Cyber's channel, I've done several going from military transitioning into cybersecurity uh, just in, you know, some way for me to uh, provide and help with that. So definitely thank you and take a moment today and appreciate that. Now, shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors. First off, here we go. Barricade Cyber Solutions. My friend Eric Taylor and the gang over Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Check them out at BarricadeCyber.com. You can see right here on, this is their website, BarricadeCyber.com. Scroll down a little bit. This is Eric Taylor's personal calendar. You just pop a pop a link up and boom, you schedule a time. I could have a meeting with him at 10 a.m. today, later today. No big deal. So definitely check out BarricadeCyber.com, especially if you want to have a, um, you know, go-to um, emergency you know, situation with ransomware or something like that, have a go-to solution. Also, Recon InfoSec, my friends over there, Eric Capuano, um, Winnie Champion, uh, aka Shortstack. Recon InfoSec's managed detection and response MDR offering includes the people, process, and technology need needed to deliver full-spectrum security operations to any organization of any size. Their MDR service includes fully managed SIM and SOAR, and customers gain full visibility into their own environment, as well as any incident investigations being worked by the Recon SOC team. So guys, really quick, MDR is basically, um, it's like a timeshare security operations capability, which if you don't know what security operation is, it's the people who are looking at the alerts 
on the wire or coming into a managed console and saying, hey, that's a false positive, no big deal, or holy crap, Carl just clicked on, um, you know, Emotet and it's starting to pull down a second stage payload. We've got to get in front of this. That is what MDR does. And it's very, very useful, especially if you're on a budget, because uh, you basically pay for a percentage of a, a, of a team instead of a full team. Now, I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications like um, CISP, SISM, CISA, uh, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE, so they stack up two and a half a week, 10 a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat and document literally the easiest and I would argue the most enjoyable way to earn CPEs that I'm aware of. If you are live, love it. In the bottom right corner, you'll see a number, 69 giggity. That's how many people are live with us right now. Definitely appreciate it, guys. Um, we're going to have a, a banger of a show today. Say what's up in chat. Hashtag Team Live. If you're on replay, which I know many of you are, Boston Rob uh, played Threat Gen Red Blue with him the other day. He's a team replayer. Poner Joe, you know, guys, hashtag Team Replay in chat. I see your comments. I see you in there. Love Love it uh, when I go through it later in the day. Now, if you're here for the news, well, we're going to get to it in a few minutes. And if you're on replay, you can jump ahead. But for the next couple minutes, I am just going to say what's up to chat. Thank everybody for being here and let you know that we made it to Friday. Plus, I haven't had a sip of coffee yet. So I'm about to uh, make make sweet, sweet happiness with my, uh, <laughs> my cup of coffee here. And then uh, cue up the next song really quickly. Uh, do, do, do. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Nice and easy. All right. So what's going on, Brian White? Good to see you, squad. Tony NBA. Guys, squad members, how you loving that new, um, how you loving that new uh, e emotes? Uh, hopefully everybody's enjoying that. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Hey, Lego set. Good morning to you. Joel Belton, I saw you were wrapping up a shift overnight. Uh, tough one. Glad you, you got us. Uh, you're staying with us just to uh, grab that maybe before you go catch some sleep. Hey, Alana. It's getting spicy up on here on a Friday. You know it. Oh, look at Tony Roy with the loving it. John Strand. Toasty. We got some toasties. Love it. This is fine. Hey, Cyber Munchkin. Good to see you gaming with Cat. Always good to see you in chat. Rian Hansen, not only IT with the Yeats. I know you guys, everybody loves the Yeats. <laughs> All right. Hey, Aaron KG. Good to see you, man. Eric Taylor, my man. I love it. Guys, if you're interested, I actually filmed my entire studio setup um, because there's a lot of B-roll and stuff like that. Uh, it's going to take me a minute, but a lot of people have been asking me how how I how I do this and what's all involved. So uh, that's coming pretty soon. Let me take this coffee and then we're going to get in. Hey, whoop, this microphone has a boom arm and I'm a right-handed person, so it's tough for me to move my cup of coffee around. But cheers, everybody. We made it to Friday, y'all. Um, that's okay. I made this wicked strong. Holy crap. All right. Enjoy the music, guys. I think I might have to be switching to copyright-free music. I actually looked into purchasing the rights to the, you know, Around the World by Daft Punk and Offspring and stuff just to play, like, the music because I get copyright strikes every day. And it is prohibitively expensive. Uh, for someone like me in a show like this to purchase music, um, like 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 five thousand dollars to play, you know, around the world once, I just can't do that. So we will probably be switching to royalty-free music pretty soon. Uh, but enjoy it the good the golden days while we have it. Yep, stream beats is exactly what I was thinking. All right, guys, let's get into the news and have a good time. 
and then we'll hang out uh, after the show. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Friday, November 11th, 2022. Alleged lockbit operator to be extradited from Canada to the U.S. An alleged member of the notorious Lockbit ransomware group is being extradited to the United States according to a statement from the Justice Department. Mikhail Vasiliev, a 33-year-old Russian and Canadian national living in Bradford near Toronto, is currently in custody in Canada and is facing charges related to his involvement with Lockbit. The Justice Department unsealed a criminal complaint filed in the District of New Jersey charging Vasiliev with participating in Lockbit attacks. FBI Deputy Director Paul Abate noted that Vasiliev was arrested on Wednesday following a nearly three-year investigation into the ransomware gang, which has quickly taken over as one of the most lucrative ransomware operations in the world. Wow. Okay, so this is pretty big, guys. Um, You can see from this bar chart here, and we talked about this maybe two weeks ago on stream, that Lockbit accounted for 44% of all ransomware attacks in 2022. So nearly half, right? So I had mentioned like if you were going to if you were going to mature your infosec program to the point where you're looking at specific types of threat actor TTPs and you were worried about ransomware that Lockbit would probably be your biggest bang for your buck. Um but also note here, it's kind of hard to see but Conti is the second one. Conti basically went defunct in March. So Conti was going um YOLO or ham, if you will up in here, but Lockbit arrested. Okay, a couple things. One, we got the new emote, so use it. That's the sound of the police. Get your chief wig on, okay? <laughs> so um, I, I genuinely appreciate that the Lockbit ransomware uh, gang members are getting arrested. I, I'll tell you what, dude, if I was a international, you know, very Luke, like well-funded, not well-funded, but like they've committed so much ransomware that they're clearly got money right would i would not be operating in a country that is literally bffs with the united states like it's they didn't even have to fly him in they could have taken a bus from ontario to the united states you know what i mean so i mean whatever Th- thanks a lot uh Vasily, for making it easy on the doj's um travel budget there but um not not a good move uh, by them. I don't know if they thought that they would be uh, completely uh, like, oh, stupid uh, Department of Justice. They'll never catch us. LOL. But, you know, obviously they caught him. Now, the ch- the the the, um, the impact that really matters to me is, is this going to slow Lockbit down? You got to remember these ransomware threat actor groups, guys, um, they they operate like a multi-headed Hydra, right? You know, we saw Revil got busted in just earlier this week. You know, a Revil kind of vibed, a Revil TTP'd uh, ransomware group act, uh, threat actor has appeared, right? So you cut one head off and two more appear kind of thing. So they can squeeze this guy, obviously, the way that law enforcement do. Hey, you know, you'll spend life in prison, but if you give up your buddies or tell us how the operation works, we'll knock it down to five years. If you give us the head of the snake, you can uh, go into witness relocation, something like that, right? Like that's always the the move. So stay tuned for this. Obviously, it says alleged member. Um, this will probably be, they're going to be working him in order to get uh, more information about the operation and stuff. Because Lockbit is a blight on on our society right now, frankly, especially in the United States. I mean, they target healthcare organizations. They don't care 
um, what you are or who you what you do, it they'll they'll they're equal opportunity threat actors. So good on uh, DOJ. It's nice for a ch- by the way. I hate to sound so freaking uh, um, cynical, but like. I'm happy to see that the DOJ finally got to arrest someone with one of their indictments. The DOJ, they issue indictments like every, like as, as often as I change my underwear and I know b like, oh, so they never issue indictments. He's saying that right now on his desk. But listen, I'm serious. Like they issue indictments all the time and it's usually for like China or North Korea or whomever. And it's in these countries that have zero interest in cooperating with US law enforcement and doing extradition and stuff like this. So they're basically you know, they're indictments, but they're kind of paper tigers. So I love, I love that this is happening. Um, and yes, the John Strand emote is pretty baller. I got to have to send that over to the Black Hills people. Let them know we're doing that. We're at the Twitter. Elon Musk ends remote work and promises to fight spam while the CISO quits. Less than two weeks after taking over Twitter, Elon Musk addressed the company's employees for the first time in a series of emails. According to a report from Bloomberg, the new CEO asked workers to be ready for, quote, difficult times ahead, end quote. At the same time, he told them that working at the office was now mandatory unless an employee received a personal exemption. The report also said that the employees will have to put in at least 40 hours per week working from the office, and these policies are effective immediately. One person who will not be coming back to the office, though, is Twitter's CISO, Leah Kistner, who used the platform to post, quote, I've loved this job and we got so much done, but here we are, end quote. Kistner follows Chief Privacy Officer Damien Kieran and Chief Compliance Officer Marion Fogarty, who are also said to have exited. Insurance. I mean, what a, like, okay, so there's a couple things in this story, okay? One, um... You know, just talking about Elon as a as a business executive, okay? So politics aside, all that, this dude doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't screw around. He like makes a decision and moves forward. Now, the way he fires some people, I know he fired someone like live on Joe Rogan's podcast, which I felt was kind of um, unprofessional and inappropriate, but he makes a decision and then goes for it. He says... Hey, I don't believe in remote work. He takes over business and says, effective Monday, everybody's coming in the office. Um, you know, I guess he's like moves fast, breaks things kind of kind of guy. But um, at least you know where he stands. I find it interesting also that, uh, you know, I, I've been quite successful working from home. I love not having a commute. Um, I think remote work, you know, is is where it's at. And I have some strong opinions on why I think executives want you in the office, but that's for a different show. The CISO quitting, the chief privacy officer quitting, and the chief compliance officer quitting is a pretty huge, um, a pretty huge hit to the organization. Now you got to remember, from a business perspective, Elon probably may have had them. He probably he may have told them like, "Listen, I'm going to fire you anyway, so you know I'll give you the opportunity to quit, and you know." make your draw your own path or draw your own adventure but i I don't know that that's speculation or maybe they just don't like what he's doing to the company because it's so uh tumultuous um so i don't know but dude not having a CISO and a privacy officer and a compliance officer one of the larger companies that's so ingrained in society and touches so many people data that's not good also, I'm really going to be curious to see who the next chief information security officer is at Twitter. That is a hot, hot seat. Like, 
Like, and then it not not me spitting hot fire over here, like spicy seat. Like, there's gonna be a lot of eyes on that seat. There's gonna be a lot of people attacking. Um, I even saw people talking online about how, you know, grab your this is fine emote, please, squad. Uh, I'm just talking about Elon sitting in a big, you know, skyscraper office building alone, <laughs> saying, ah, yes, this is fine. This this is how I wanted it to be. Uh, so definitely. Definitely taken a, a $44 billion investment and kind of, um, I, I don't know if, you know, if there's a plan to recover it, but this, this blue Twitter checkmark thing is a hot mess too. It's giant settles not petty a lawsuit signaling cyber insurance shakeup. The settlement last week in a $100 million lawsuit over whether insurance giant Zurich should cover losses suffered by Mondelez International from NotPetya may very well reshape the entire cyber insurance marketplace. Zurich initially denied claims from Mondelez after the malware, which experts estimate caused some $10 billion in damages globally, wreaked havoc on its computer networks. The insurance provider claimed an act of war exemption since it's widely believed Russian military hackers unleashed NotPetya on a Ukrainian company before it spread around the world. It appears instead that what Mondelez endured was not an act of war, but collateral damage in a much larger cyber conflict. James Lewis, director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, said, quote, We're going to need to rethink what an act of war means in cyberspace when it comes to insurance. He continued, quote, The current definitions come from the 19th century when we had pirates, navies, and privateers. End quote. All right. Yes. So this is actually... So one thing that you may not know about me, and I get my balls... Whoops! I get I get my chops busted um, often about it. Sorry, damn it. Um, is that like I I actually uh, talk quite a bit about cyber insurance. I I, I go to breakfast luncheons at at, at Black Hat uh, for people who want to talk about cyber insurance. That's how I know Liz Wharton over at Scythe. Um, so in cyber insurance has become more and more. Um, you know, front and center mainstream conversation as ransomware has taken off. It's like pretty much a guarantee now that you're going to get it. And the insurance companies have been a unable to um, like have good actuarial tables. Cause if you think of the way like modern insurance goes, they're like, okay, how many people are probably going to make claims this year? How Like, okay. So a million dollars worth of claims. Okay. How much do we need to charge people in order to cover the million dollars plus cover operating costs of our business, plus make a reasonable profit. Uh, we need to charge, you know, every, there's 3 million customers. So we'll charge every customer a dollar for health insurance. That'll give us a million dollars for the policies, a million dollars for operating costs and a million dollars profit. Okay. Like very simple math or whatever. That's how insurance company has worked forever. Well, they don't have the actuarial tables now to be able to say how much should we expect to pay this year? <clears throat> and because cyber, um, you can't say like, okay, maybe hurricane insurance in the Gulf of, uh, the, like Texas Gulf coast. Um, you're like, okay, it's going to be more expensive than if you live in like Ohio for hurricane insurance, right? Cause they don't get hurricanes with cyber. There's that whole, the whole concept of how they calculate these things makes no sense. And they have tried for years to apply, you know, more conventional, uh, traditional thinking to this. And it's just not working to the point where like, you know, ransomware people are getting slapped all over the place. And now insurance companies <clears throat> are actually dictating like, we will not write you a policy unless you have these controls in place, MFA, uh, security awareness training, 
um, incident response team, MDR, right? Or having someone like Barricade Cyber on retainer to be able to respond quickly and limit the damage done, right? This is what the insurance companies are saying because they're, they're going not out of business, but they're getting their lunch handed to them. This not pet you one was particularly gross. Um, I had no idea that Mondelez got impacted. I'd be curious if anyone knows if Neil Bridges was uh, CISO over there when this happened. Not Petya was a cyber weapon, okay? The Russian government, and I'm going to say allegedly, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's been proven true, but we'll just say allegedly so I don't get sued or whatever. Allegedly, the Russian um, government weaponized a wiper, which is basically a piece of malware that gets on your computer and deletes everything, right? Very, very um, crude, but very annoying, right? Like if you just went to work today and nobody had a computer, you probably wouldn't get much work done, right? So not Petya was supposed to look like a ransomware, Petya, but which was a ransomware. And it was a wiper, so it wiped everything. It was supposed to target Ukrainian people only. Now, this is before the war broke out in Eastern Europe. This is like leading up to the war. And it knocked out. It, it got uh, distributed through some accounting software that was supposed to be like Ukrainian only. Well, come to find out, um, the NotPetya wasn't written well enough. It jumped it jumped the fence, if you will, and got into some really serious systems, including Merck, the international global transportation people. Like they have milk crates and shipping boats and trucks and everything. They, they got screwed. Uh, really, really interesting story. It's, it's like follow-up reading for the weekend, how Merck recovered from this not pet yet incident. It's unbelievable. It's a, it's a, you, you won't believe it. Well, apparently Mondelez also got hit. So with Merck... With Merck last January um, getting uh, a court ruling, and you can see here, there was a court ruling in January that um, Zurich had to pay the insurance because originally they were like, we're not paying you for this. This is, this is an act of war, right? Russia attacked Ukraine, and you're basically collateral damage, buddy. So we're not paying you anything. And you can understand why Zurich would make a run at this, even though it's deplorable. That's why you have insurance. But they had to pay out $1.4 billion, Okay. That wasn't good. Well, Mondelez came in right afterwards and was like, "Hey, we got our we got our butt kicked too by the same thing." And since Merck just got paid out, we want our money. You know what I mean? We want our cash money. Straight cash, homie. So Zurich, it looks like took him to court, and now they're going to have to pay Mondelez. So obviously, precedent has been set, which I said back in January when it happened that this was a very interesting precedent and going to screw the insurance companies over. Which who has like any love lost for that? But they are definitely going to be redefining active war. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, diplomatic, excuse me, not diplomatic, uh, academic research done around this particular thing. And you can guarantee that cyber insurance companies are going to be much more clear about what they cover, what they don't cover, and what things you have to have in place. The final thing I'll say about this to make it um, as fine a point as possible, I have reviewed uh, in cyber insurance policies and usually like on the technical side, it's kind of generic, like, oh, you have to have these controls in place, but they don't dictate like how comprehensive or like, so you have to do awareness training. It, it won't specify like weekly, monthly, quarterly, any level of depth, what has to be in the awareness training. So you could literally just stick uh, one email a year into someone's inbox and call that awareness training, right? So it's very, very subjective and vague on that side. But on the business email compromise, I have seen an unbelievably detailed layout in a cyber insurance policy around when you can claim business email compromise and be recompensated uh, by the insurance company. And I could not 
for the life of me find any possible scenario where you would be able to exercise that that policy uh, for business email compromise because it basically said like you have to documented processes that would prevent business email compromise. All staff follow the process to commit like 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 basically you'd have to do everything like if you follow the policy you would not have business email compromise happen right so. Um, they're definitely much more keen and aware on business email compromise protection. See, I could go all day on cyber insurance, but most people, the numbers have probably dropped. People um, people don't like talking about cyber insurance. New Strella Steeler malware steals Outlook and Thunderbird accounts. A new information stealing malware named Strela Stealer, that's S-T-R-E-L-A Stealer, is actively stealing email account credentials from Outlook and Thunderbird, and its behavior deviates from most info stealers. The previously unknown malware was discovered by analysts at DCSO SciTech, who report that they first saw it in the wild in early November, targeting Spanish-speaking users. Strela Stealer arrives on the victim's system via email attachments. It is also capable of delivering polyglot files that can be treated as different file formats depending on the application that opens it. Currently, this malware is spread using Spanish language lures and focusing on very specific software. All right, hold on. Um, so <clears throat> I'm seeing a lot. I haven't seen it in my organization, but I'm seeing a lot of... <clears throat> Uh, threat actors delivering ISOs as attachments and or LNK files, which are basically links um, that can push to um, a website or a URL of some sort. Um, oh, cool. You know, guys, you know, I love a good diagram. I do love a good diagram. <laughs> that might have to be a sounder because I do love a good diagram. All right. So check it out. ISO file comes in. It pushes to this LNK. I guess the cogs start turning. And it sideloads DLL, which basically means um, what, like it, there's nothing magical about sideloading DLL. It basically, as far as I know, it basically replaces the existing DLL with the malicious one, which would top, typically be Trojanized. So it'll still do all the things that it's supposed to do. So your computer won't take a crap, but it'll also have the malicious stuff in it, allowing you to allowing the threat actor to hook in to. Um, current, you know, ring zero or, you know, kernel level um, functionality and uh, function calls. So run DLL 32, um, it sideloads, and then now they, they can basically execute uh, malware or payload because they have kernel level access. Um, and then this right here, I don't understand what the Stardex HTML, it, like I said, it opens a web browser. Uh, that's what those uh, LNK or HTML files do. I don't know what the web browser does it displays a decoy document okay so i get it i get it you have to be so dumb like i'm sorry like i i'm usually pretty pretty accepting and pretty okay with i need to be chill you are so dumb you are really dumb for real listen to me you receive an email that has an iso file attached to it and somehow you think it's a an office document that's a problem. And then when you click it, it opens a web browser and displays an Office Word document. Like there's multiple levels of this is not right. There's multiple levels of this is wrong going on in this process. And for an end user to fall all the way through this and not detect it baffles my mind. I know it can happen, but this is one of those ones like I get it for like, 
you know, there's a pop-up and you don't read it exactly right and you fall for it. This one, like, there's, it's just so many levels you'd have to fail at to, for this to work. And it's working, obviously. Um, but it's an info stealer. Um, you know, I don't know if you should allow, um, I don't know, I don't know if you should allow people to send ISO files as attachments. Like it's 2022. Like who's really sending big attachments anymore? Really? I don't know. Here's the lure document. You could see, looks like a document, but it's got this, um, it, it's in your web browser. It's not, <laughs> this is so bad. All right. If you're in a Spanish speaking country, be, be, uh, add this to your kind of, uh, threat profile, uh, increase the, the likelihood of it happening as they're seeing it out in the wild. But this is, this is, Bananas, man. And now a word from our sponsor, App Omni. Did you know that over half of companies have sensitive SaaS data exposed on the public internet? And many breaches making headlines now involve SaaS apps? App Omni can help. Oh, all right. App Omni identifies misconfigurations and guides remediation to keep your SaaS data secure. We help security teams make sense of data access permissions, third-party app visibility, and threat detection across their entire SaaS ecosystem. You can get started at appomni.com. That's A-P-P-O-M-N-I dot com. All right. So it's the mid-roll. We have Grayson's joke of the day, which is awesome because uh, it's Friday and we do that every Friday if you're new here. I just want to address something in chat really quick. I see auto117666 and also that's unfortunate making comments. Uh, thank you guys for sharing. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't get it right all the time up here and I do shoot from the hip. I see these stories for the first time as you. So apparently they're saying that the file doesn't come as an ISO in the attachment. It's a compressed it's a compressed file, so I guess the, I, I guess, I guess I don't understand when it says currently ISO files as attachments. Like I was thinking ISO file, like you know, like you, you would think it's an ISO file looking like a an image, um, but if it if it's an ISO file or it's an LNK file or it's an HTML file, um, you got to educate your end users that, you know. Attachments can be bad. Hopefully you have email web filtering gateway that can kind of detect some of this stuff. Um, also, <clears throat> if you're reading a, a, like a document and it's like, you know, in a web browser, local on your machine, you know, there's a lot of things to be, you know, have your, have your, um, have your spidey sense tingling. Right. So uh, thanks. Thanks anyways to um, that's unfortunate and auto. Um, Auto one one seven six six for helping. Um, we're helping clarify that and talking about Syswan. De definitely appreciate that, guys. It's a community effort up here. What's up, James? All right, hold on. Thousand. It's mid roll. Hold on. You know what I got to do until <clears throat> until I stop playing commercial music. We're just gonna lean into it. All right, guys. I do want to thank you all for being here. I want to remind you, it is Friday. Every Monday, <clears throat> and I do this on Saturdays, okay? So every Saturday, I write an email that takes about 90 seconds to read. It has three pieces of very actionable intel in it, and I queue it up to be delivered to you Monday at 6 a.m. If you aren't getting the newsletter and you are interested, go to simplycyber.io slash newsletter. You can see it in yellow at the top there. That is how you sign up for it. When I say it is actionable, I mean, you can literally, in, in a lot of times, copy and paste what I write in there 
and send it to your boss or copy and paste and send it to your end users and deliver cyber risk reduction to your organization and win, you know, like basically kind of begin to like win over your end users, get them established as security champions. And oh, by the way, you look like a rock star because before your coffee's cool enough to drink, you're already kicking butt at work this week. So go to simplycyber.io slash newsletter. People in chat, if you get the newsletter, um, if you get the newsletter, uh, please let us know in chat if it's good. Uh, share it with those people uh, that you think would find value in it. Now, James McQuiggan, because it is uh, joke of the week, we'll start with James's. How does a computer get drunk? This is James McQuiggan's joke of the week. He's in chat right now. How does a computer get drunk? They take screenshots. They take screenshots. <laughs> All right. Now, Grayson's joke of the week. What technology loves the ocean? What technology loves the ocean? Guys, while you're, while you're thinking about that, I want to really say thank you. It was a great week. You guys, my birthday was yesterday. You guys were a big part of my birthday uh, celebration. The stream last night was awesome. What technology likes the ocean? Microwaves. Microwaves. Thank you, Grayson, for the joke of the week. Definitely appreciate it. I hope that helps you guys slide into the weekend feeling a little bit better, feeling a little, little laughy. All right, guys. All right, I'll let Grayson know that you guys enjoyed it. He always wants to know. I, I don't let him. I just tell him what y'all say because there's always like someone who's like boo, and you know he's like why why don't they like my jokes? So, all right, guys. Um, just a quick reminder too, if you didn't catch it, this was the uh, Q and A AMA I did last night. I went back and watched some of the chat. I definitely. You guys asked a lot of wonderful questions, and I actually didn't get to all of them. This was almost a pilot episode of a, um, a once-a-month kind of office hours with Jerry. Um, I enjoy doing it. I'm probably going to keep doing it once a month and bring members of the Simply Cyber community on as co-hosts, kind of chill. Uh, think like Black Hills, talking news kind of vibes. Uh, I'll facilitate, and uh, we'll have beers, and it'll be awesome, okay? So... Let's get back into the news, guys. Thousands of bogus Twitter accounts push NFT scams to steal cryptocurrency. A fraud network made up of thousands of Twitter accounts has been impersonating legitimate NFT stores to swindle users out of cryptocurrency, according to research published Thursday. Researchers at the threat intelligence firm Nisos found that between July 26 and October 11th, more than 3,000 Twitter accounts produced nearly 6,000 tweets linking to sham storefronts that offered to mint new NFTs for free. Thousands of other bogus accounts amplified those tweets, according to researchers, and the fake NFT stores prompted victims to share access to their wallets under the guise of minting this new NFT, allowing scanners to deplete the owner's collection of NFTs along with other virtual currency funds. All right. You know where FTX's it's coming. Is bank Finfrock. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. Dan Reardon was quick on the draw there. Yeah. And I, I actually uh, just got to spend time with Finn Brock, had dinner with him on Wednesday night. Uh, love that guy. Okay, guys, <clears throat> couple couple things here, okay? So thousands of bogus Twitter accounts, right? Um, you know, pushing to fake stores. So like this is just 
like kind of malware wholesale. They weren't selling NFTs. They were trying to socially engineer people into going to a website and either installing malware. I don't know what the actual impact was, installing malware or, um, you know, buying trash NFTs, like not real NFTs and taking their money, whatever it was, it was all about the cash money, right? Great cash, homie. So one of the ways that they employ uh, getting basically uh, social proof is having thousands of other fake bot accounts echoing, retweeting, uh, like chiming in on, oh, I just did it. It was, it was awesome. I just made a thousand dollars. I made $10,000, whatever, like trying to trying to stoke up FOMO or fear of missing out and then get victims to, to step in and actually uh, get victimized. So NFTs, I thought, you know, not that we're in the crypto winter, but like I felt like the NFT scene <clears throat> had like its bubble had burst. Apparently not. But uh, I think NFTs are scams. I think that there's no actual utility for them. Uh, I have pretty strong feelings about crypto in general, but uh, you got to be mindful of this, educate people, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, like just, you got to be careful. It's so, 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 so easy to rip people off, um, with these NFTs and these cryptocurrency scams right now. So, uh, <clears throat> the one tangential thing worth mentioning is that they use Twitter, uh, platform to promote this social engineering attack. Elon, again, Elon, love him or hate him. He said that he was planning on getting rid of bot accounts like that was his like one of his main focuses right and he used it as part of his um why he's buying the company and everything like that so if that is true that's a win for for people like us and for the general masses who are getting victimized this attack would not work if those bot accounts did not exist right if some some jack wagon creates a fake landing site and then has one twitter account so it's go to my site not a lot of people are going to see it Without that amplification mechanism, um, the attack has much, much lower reach. Um, so Gary's asking, do I think NFTs have utility in the future when security has improved? Yeah, I mean, NFTs are basically just unique, um, unique digital assets, right? The fact that there's a picture, all the picture is is something for humans to associate what it is. The picture isn't the NFT. Anyone can right click, save the picture and have it, right? The NFT is the actual backend, you know, unique comp computer, you know, um, uh, mathematical uh, cryptographic code, right? That that makes it unique, <laughs> and it can be on the blockchain, all that stuff. So the only utility I could really see with it is if it was used for access to certain things, right, or some way to identify you. Like, I could see. I mean, you could still steal it though, like. I don't know, like like a passport, like a digital passport that you couldn't fake because you have the key to that NFT, right? A non-fungible token, like it was issued by your government. You have the key, you own that NFT. So that passport is in fact legitimate. I could see it for like official documentation or for official access into like, you know, Board Ape Yacht Club, even though it's ridiculous, they actually have like a private site that you can only access by having one of the NFTs. So I could see it used like that. But right now, people it, it, it people are thinking it's the art that they're buying and it, it's not. Um, so anyways, yeah, there is some utility for it. It's just right now, I'm really getting... Fashy! Listen, the, the thing with crypto and NFT is like, it's a solution looking for a problem. That's what's going on. You know, and, and like, yes, okay, so the decentralization and, and all of this, um, 
for the crypto and for the economics of it makes sense, but it has to be adopted in more places. The value of anything is in its network, right? I say this the other day, right? Like if no one accepts Bitcoin anywhere in the world, then Bitcoin isn't worth anything because it doesn't have utility. If everyone takes Bitcoin, then it's got massive utility, just like the US dollar has massive utility because you can basically use it anywhere in the world, right? NFT and crypto is a pro, it's a solution. We've done this. Look at what we've got. Where can we, where can we apply it? And that's why you see people using them in all sorts of bizarre, like, why are you overcomplicating this type situations? Because it's looking for a problem to solve, which is not how, you know, it's not how innovation is supposed to happen. You're not supposed to go backwards for innovation. You're supposed to have a problem and then find innovative ways to solve the problem. Freed scrambles for funds after Binance deal collapses. <clears throat> Following up on a story we brought you yesterday regarding the possible purchase of FTX by rival Binance, which did not happen, FTX chief executive Sam Bankman-Fried launched yesterday an urgent push to raise funds to save his firm as the crypto exchange looks to plug a reported $8 billion hole in its finances, <laughs> this according to tweets and a no. memo to employees. Bankman-Fried said he was in talks with a number of players in the crypto sector, including Justin Sun, who is the founder of crypto token Tron. The problems at FTX, one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, have triggered a broader crisis of confidence in cryptocurrencies, with Bitcoin falling below $16,000 overnight for the first time since late 2020. Bro. 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 Come I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. Okay, yeah. Dude, my company... Okay, so let me just pretend I'm this guy. My company is literally on fire. Doggo, this is fine, or dumpster fire emotes. Your choice on this one. This company is literally on white hot fire. $8 billion in, de like, in real debt. Like People want their money. And this dude's shopping around. Hey, can I get $9.4 billion? Anyone that has $9.4 billion is probably not looking at this as a sound investment, okay? Yes, the story says he's been in talks with multiple people. Dude, you can talk in one direction, right? I can make a bunch of cold calls. You don't want to look desperate. You don't want to look like you, you've got stink lines coming off your back end, right? So you're not going to say, nobody's answering my calls. But this thing is... This thing's going down. It's like that song, Timber. It's going down. Right? Hold on. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, where is it? So anyways, like this is this is probably making the guy who does Binance so happy because, you know, they like I told you yesterday, uh, Binance was going to do it and then they backed out the last second. I think that that was always the plan because they were um, they weren't going to do it. You know what I mean? So like, here we go. This is what's going on for FTX right now. Yeah, that's what's that's what's Apple going down right now. Airdrop everyone. Up. Okay, all right. Any, anyways, I'm all over the place, guys. Friday's Veterans Day. Uh, I've only had one cup of coffee. I'm a little I'm a little loose on the on the stream deck over here, guys. This company, mark my words, this company, lot of lot of people are going to lose their money because the money is locked up in FTX, and. This company will, the, the next story we hear about this company is that it's, 
you know, chapter 11 bankruptcy or it's dissolved or whatever. I, I would be absolutely stunned if anyone financially rescued this company. There's, there's no reason to. The reason that they are $8 billion insolvent is because they took all the money and invested it in other crypto projects, which are all failing right now because we're in like crypto winter, right? Winter is coming. Winter's done come and white walkers are all up in your accounts. All right, let's boogeyman. Yes, Coffeezilla. Coffeezilla has great content and he just, I don't know if uh, auto117666 is talking about this one. He just did one the other day, like Monday or something around Binance and FTX and how, like that's why I know just kind of like the relationship between the two guys who run those companies. But if there's a new Coffeezilla, Guys, I love me some Coffeezilla. I to to me, I'm sorry to to kind of jaw jack today, but to me, the crypto world, the NFT world, it's like the same equivalent as the tabloids when you're checking out at the grocery store. I don't know if they have this in other countries, but like in the grocery store, they have like the trashy, the trashy like celebrity you know, gossip crap right at the register. It's like candies behind you for your kids to, uh, you know, pull at your, at your uh, shirt and say, I want this candy. And then the trashy uh, news is like right here for you. And I don't care about the trashy news and the gossip and celebrity crap, but like the crypto stuff to me, it is like the trashy gossip. Like I don't care about it. I don't, I think it's total scam. I don't invest in it. I think it's dumb. But I am so intrigued by all of the nuances, all of the backstabbing, all of the uh, like crypto bros and all, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, I don't know what it is, but it's just so uh, just, I don't know how to explain it, but for some reason I'm into it. And CoffeeZilla is like ground zero for getting this information. The guy's awesome. To 10 minutes in China. A change in the <laughs> iOS 16.1.1 update for Chinese users is turning some heads. Apple is restricting the everyone option in AirDrop to 10 minutes on iPhones purchased in mainland China, according to online user reports. Oh, there's one Apple definite reason for that. Apple improving the AirDrop experience by automatically reverting the receiving setting back to contacts only after 10 minutes to help mitigate unwanted file sharing. Some argue that this feature should have long been an option for all Apple users, but others interpret the decision as Apple's response to recent incidents in China in which AirDrop was used to spread protest content. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Grant. So, all right. Here is the two sides of the coin. One, oh, by limiting everyone, we protect you from, you know, someone pushing something to you, right? Some piece of malware or whatever. What you know, hot take Jerry has to say Mercy! what hot take Jerry has to say is the Chinese government like recently, like, okay. It is a way to control the people from organizing. Okay. Just recently, like two weeks ago, there was uh, a news article about how people on like subway trains, which there's like a lot of public transit in China <clears throat> would, <clears throat> would airdrop, um, essentially propaganda, right? Like anti-authoritarian uh, anti regime propaganda. So anti-Chinese government propaganda, right? Trying to get people stoked, trying to get people, uh, you know, at least thinking about these type of things. Uh, and the way they were doing it was airdrop. They'd push it to everyone. You wouldn't know who sent it. And now people just got it on their phone, right? Good way to um, discreetly send information and be protected from a privacy perspective, anonymous, right? Well, <clears throat> I bet you, 
it, one could easily see Chinese government being like, hey, Apple, um, you know, it is a security feature, but we want you to limit it to 10 minutes. So it automatically shuts off. Uh, if you don't do that, you know, you can stop selling Apple products in China, which is huge, right? Like tons of people in China buy Apple products. So Apple is certainly not financially motivated cash, homie. to do that. So here you go. We'll make the change. And what this does is this, you know, kneecaps the ability for people to organize or for you to push like it. This basically is a control mechanism to address the threat of the story I just talked about from two weeks ago. It, that that type of action will not hap happen. Because I mean, like everyone on the train would have to turn on everyone and then they could do it. But most people are just gonna be sitting there in their morning commute, doom scrolling on Mastodon or you know Twitter or whatever. And um, so interesting move by China to like really, you know, get their hands around the neck of that one and address it in a way that is, you know, from a public optics perspective, not completely authoritative regime move. But, um, and then Apple, you know, gets to save face because Apple, um, you know, it doesn't look like Apple's oppressing the citizens of China. They're giving them a security feature. Pre-Silverstone circuit hit by ransomware. The iconic home of the British Grand Prix of Auto Racing is investigating a ransomware attack after a gang added it to its list of victims this week. The circuit, the home of the British Grand Prix since 1950, was allegedly attacked by the Royal Ransomware Gang, which took credit for the alleged incident on Tuesday. MSYSOFT threat analyst Brett Callow said the Royal Ransomware Group is a relatively new gang following the encrypt and exfiltrate model. It's fr I mean, okay, I'm going to spend about 30 seconds on this one, right? Guys, there's like one story a week like this. This... It's just another ransomware victim. It just happens to be a well-known business that people know about because it's been like this really cool racing um, circuit uh, track since the 1950s. And the ransomware is called Royal. So, right, it's very on-brand. UK, Royal, you know, the Queen, you know, the King, whatever. So it's just, it's just another business that got ransomware. Now, I will say this. Had they called Barricade Cyber beforehand... They may have gotten a faster response time. I don't know if they're, you know, what they're doing. They're just currently aware that they're investigating the matter. Uh, but anyways, and, you know, anyone can be attacked. I didn't even know, um, you know, like this was a thing, right? But it does make sense, right? If you're going to run a race course, there's people who work at the race course. There's maintenance of the race course. There's scheduling events, right? There's marketing, right? It's a, it's a full business. So there's no reason why it couldn't get ransomware. Now, I mean, it is kind of a, a, a kludgy uh, victim to hit because you'd almost want to hit them heading into a Grand Prix season or a Formula One season just to kind of jack up their operation. I don't know. I don't follow F1 or, or moto bike racing. So it could be just whatever. Hopefully they had good backups. But this is just another victim of ransomware. No big deal. Friday and it's Veterans Day. All right. So that's going to do it for... Let's see. What other copyright should we break today? Um, um, let's see. There we go. All right. Guys, that's going to do it for 
Friday, November 11th, Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I hope you got value from it. We are a couple minutes over, but I did lose my mind a couple times. I, I, I you know, please grant me grace. Um, as sometimes I go into some of these stories and lose it, but, um, you know, thank you very much. I hope you all had a wonderful week. I hope you have an excellent weekend. If you got a cert this week or you, you're studying for one, good on you. I know Carrie got one. If you got an interview next week, I saw several people um, mention that they had interviews coming up. I hope the very best for you. Don't forget on the Simply Cyber channel, I have multiple videos on how to destroy an interview. I also can tell you one particular Simply Cyber community member messaged me the other day. We had a conversation. He is a GRC analyst right now. He told me right before his interview, right before his interview, he watched my uh, video on Simply Cyber on basically all things risk assessment and roles of GRC. Literally watched it right before he went in the interview. Got multiple questions in the interview that I spoke about in the video. He blew away the interview, got the job, obviously, but he, he was telling me, he's like, I, I really didn't feel like ready to go, ready to qualify, uh, but I watched the video and you know, a lot of the things, and he's like, and now I'm, you know, now I'm up and running and moving and kicking, kicking butt. And, um, you know, good on him. So I'm not saying it guarantees you a job. I'm just saying there's a lot of content on the channel that can help you. That's why I put it there. I want to help you. All right, guys, thanks so much for everything. I hope you have a wonderful day. Remember, um, Monday is the next Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. It will be at 8 a.m. Um, just a programming note, when uh, Thanksgiving happens, Thanksgiving Day, we will not have a show. The Friday after Thanksgiving, we will have a show, but there will not be a podcast from CISO Series. So I will be freestyling the entire show, including the news stories. I will have a news reporter voice that I read the stories in. And I will do, you know, obviously my regular analysis and stuff like that. So it'll be fun. Internal Stranger. Good to see you, man. I, I, did you catch the Wednesday episode? Australia. Worldwide Wednesday. We missed Australia. All right. All right, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Veterans Day. Have a great weekend. R&R. &R. Be good. We'll see you guys soon. Connect with me on Discord if you want to keep the conversation going got a lot of projects to do today i'm gonna get to work be good yeah everybody thank you what was the announcement i don't know what what announcement i don't know bye kimberly thank you thanks jessica probes have a good weekend thanks george strasberger be a good lisa jerry jim lunn ron clark no no problem internal stranger I, I hear you. I hope everything's all right. James Danilek, you have a good weekend. Tony NBA, be good.